Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and... uh, Today and next Sunday and Christmas Eve evening, we're going to be in Luke 1 and 2 and looking specifically at uh, Luke's account of what's taking place leading up to the birth of Jesus. And uh, really, the focus of this time over the next few weeks is on true Christmas spirit and what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Every year, as Christmas rolls around, we finish up Thanksgiving, and then comes Christmas. And whether you are ready or not, the sleigh bells and snowflakes are going to hit you in the face. Here they come. Christmas decorations go up, radio stations start playing Christmas music, the shopping and the planning commence. Uh, Ask a church-going Christian why we do it all, and you may be met with some strange looks. Don't you know? It's all about Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about Christ. And by golly, we're going to be happy about it. In fact, you go to the store and you're in the checkout line and someone says to you, Happy Holidays. And man, some people, Merry Christmas. We're Christmas spirits about Jesus, we're going to make this clear. Let's sing some carols and get spirited. But all joking aside, if we aren't careful, we make this time of year more about what we do and how we do it than why we do it and what its actual purpose is. And I, I kind of highlight all of those aspects of culture, not just culture around us, but culture even in the church. Where if we're not careful, these holiday seasons become way more about us than they become about him. And so as we step back for a few weeks here, I want us to ask the question, what is the true spirit of Christmas? What what should that be amongst God's people? What should that be rooted in according to God's word and what scripture tells us? And so the next three times we get together, we're going to consider Three parts of a biblical Christmas spirit. Grace, faith, and awe. Grace, faith, and awe. Now today specifically, we're going to step into Luke chapter 1 and see a narrative, specifically a story about uh, that begins in the days of King Herod of Judea. And in this biblical account, we meet... Our first couple, a priest and his wife, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah 
of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, there's something unique about this when we stop and consider what we often convince ourselves about being faithful to God. In general terms, we kind of have this mindset amongst ourselves that if I'm faithful, I expect to get something out of it. If I'm faithful to do and to be who God calls me to be, then I expect some kind of return. In essence, what's in it for me? And yet, we find here, Zechariah and Elizabeth described as what? Faithful and blameless. Yet, they are unable to have children. Now, when we come into a Christmas season, for many people, that could be a really exciting time. And yet, for others, this season can be one of great heartache and despair. Thinking about what is not or what hasn't yet been. You see, when we come to the reality of seasons that pass, that come and go, we have to wrestle with the reality of where are we truly at today and where does God in Christ call us to be in recognition of who he is. Uh, Right here out of the gate, we have a very simple and yet practical and difficult reality here are these faithful servants of God who have endured years years of heartache and yet what do we find them doing in the beginning of Luke chapter 1 we find them serving the Lord both from priestly backgrounds which means their family dynamics they would have grown up seeing examples of what it looked like to faithfully serve the Lord the uh, divisions of Abijah and Aaron both priestly if we go back into the Old Testament and so this would have been modeled for them and yet they made the decision together we will serve the Lord Verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's quite a statement. And yet they had no child. And they weren't in, this wasn't a young couple. How do we know that? Well, the end of verse 7, both were advanced in years. So I I highlight this because I want you to get a picture of who Zechariah and Elizabeth are. These faithful servants of the Lord who continue their work for the Lord. And yet we can step back and put ourselves in their shoes. Some of you can put yourself in their shoes far better than others. Because year after year, decade after decade, they've longed for a child and have been unable to have one. And they continue to serve the Lord. They continue to be faithful. They continue to walk in righteousness. They continue to give that to the Lord. At the end of the day, faithfulness to God does not equal prosperity in life. The same is true when we come to a Christmas season. If we're going to step back and have a right mindset and attitude, then we have to understand that if I serve the Lord in faithfulness, 
If I seek to walk in obedience to his commands, if I seek to do everything according to what he has said, it does not mean that everything is going to go the way I want it to go. And we have an example of that right here with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, the story doesn't end here. It continues forward. And Zachariah, being a priest, was on duty. And what that means was, week in and week out, there would be different divisions among the priests who would take turns doing the work that needed to be done in the temple day after day after day. And while his division was to do their work, uh, the, the common practice amongst priests was, and you might have across all of the divisions, we're not talking about like, hey, you, you've got five guys. We're talking about thousands, right? Potentially thousands of guys who were serving in this role and they would cast a lot for who would go in and actually offer the incense, in this case, in the temple. And it was considered a, a great honor to do so. And on this specific week, at this specific time, Zechariah was drawn from the lot and he goes in to do the work that the priests were called to do day in and day out. And while caring for his priestly duties, an angel appears to him with some exciting news. Now, most people don't recognize uh, that this is really the first part of the entire Christmas story. When we think about what's happening here, the angel first appears to Zechariah, and then we're going to see in a little bit that then he appears to Mary. And so, let's look at verse 8. While he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom, he was chosen by lot, enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at that at the hour of incense. So picture the temple, all the multitude of the people are outside. Zachariah is going into the temple to do the work. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zachariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Such incredible news. Not expected, but incredible. So incredible, in fact, that Zechariah here struggles to understand. Verse 18, it says, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
Uh, This is really interesting in the fact that there is a recorded difference between how Zechariah responds and what you're going to see in how Mary responds. Zechariah, in what he says, you know, from our perspective, we look at this and we go, why? Why is it that Zechariah asks this question and now he's unable to speak for the next Nine months. At this point, his wife's not even pregnant yet. So what? why? And the only thing we can rest in is who knows the heart of the individual? Well, the Lord does, right? And so somehow in the midst of this, even after decades of prayerful trust that the Lord would somehow provide a son for them, Zechariah hears this news and doubts God's ability to do it. How shall I know this? How, how shall I have confidence that this is actually what's going to happen? <clears throat> and <clears throat> we have to understand as well, Zechariah would have been extremely familiar with the Old Testament. And we can look at multiple examples in the Old Testament where the Lord did this work, right? And it brings us to a recognition of how prone you and I are to know that God is able and yet fail to trust that he actually will or can. And there's a big difference here between me seeking the Lord and seeking to trust that he is able and actually believing that it is true, that that he can. And so as a result, the consequence For Zachariah's lack of faith in this moment is that he's unable to speak. Now, there's another element that's present here. Now, God could have in this moment of Zachariah's unbelief shifted course altogether and said, you know what, Zachariah, you have been faithful up to this point. And yet in this moment, you doubt who I am. So I'm going to use someone else. And yet, in spite of how Zechariah responds, God still chooses to use Zechariah and Elizabeth to bring about his salvation purposes. Ultimately, you're going to see that John does exactly what was predicted he would do. He prepares the way for the Lord, the one who is yet to come into this biblical narrative. And so, what is that? That God would use a fleshly person like Zachariah and Elizabeth in order to accomplish his broader purpose in bringing people to salvation in Christ. That's called grace. Everyone say grace. Grace. Unmerited favor. Unearned favor. Uh, some of us might read that and go meet, read the verses before and go, Zechariah and Elizabeth, though, it said they were faithful, that they were blameless, that they walked in the right way of the Lord. And yet, it does not say that that's the reason God chose them for this purpose. God chose them because he purposed to do through them exactly as he intended to do. And in spite of their own struggles, their own shortcomings, in spite of, get this, their old age. God graciously purposed to use them for His purpose. And in so doing, gives them a front seat to the bigger work that's being done. How cool is that? 
Now, Zechariah has been in the temple for a while at this point. And the verses that follow, verse 20, say people are starting to wonder, what's, what's going on? What's happening? This, this is taking a lot longer than it usually takes. And you can almost imagine what it was like when Zechariah comes out of the temple and he can't talk. Now put yourself in that position. That I, I, and we don't know. We don't know if he, if he tried to uh, enact some biblical measure of charades to explain what happened. What's, or if he just solemnly kind of We don't know. Okay? In verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. When I read these things, family, I... I, My mind imaginatively goes to, I, I, I just have to wonder what the home dynamics looks like for all of these months. Because Zachariah steps out of the temple, he can't say what has happened, and they, the people kind of deduce eventually that, well, he's had some kind of vision. But he can't tell them what that is. There's no way of speaking it to them. And then in my mind, of course, this is a very, this is not scripture, but in my mind I go, Elizabeth going, oh, now you have nothing to say? Right? <laughs> yeah, you, something happened and now you, you, you're not going to say anything about it? And it doesn't give any indication that the Lord made Elizabeth aware that, that he was going to be mute for the next nine months. Like, and he's been told, he's been told all these things about what they're to name him, who he's to be, all of this. And he's just mute. And in, in, in so doing, I also have to wonder, the joy in Elizabeth in that moment because her husband can't tell her that this is exactly what the Lord said he would do. And yet she recognizes in that the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. That's God's grace. The Lord has done this for me. And a recognition in that I don't deserve that. And, and we would be wise to give pause and ask the question, what is it that the Lord has done for, for us today? And to step back even beyond just salvation in Christ. That alone should be enough for us to be in Christmas spirit, as it were. But to really step back, because you and I are way more prone to complain this time of year than we are to celebrate. Let's just be honest. We're way more prone to be concerned about how all this stuff is going to happen, how the shopping's going to get done, the meal's going to get cooked, the schedules are going to match up, if I'm going to see the people I want to see. How, and and we, we come off the under, other side of Christmas, and people are exhausted. It's like, whoa, I made it. I made it. <laughs> what? What? Have we missed this? What is it the Lord has done for us today? In the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the weights that bog us down, what has the Lord done already? 
Because that, that is what should motivate a response in us that goes, praise be to God. That's what should motivate who we are and what we do. Now the tide shifts here to yet another unsuspecting couple, Mary and Joseph. Betrothed to be married, yet having no idea what was about to come. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Yet another incredible message. This one may be more familiar to most of us, especially around the Christmas season. But let's highlight some of the main factors. Mary is betrothed. Now, many of us read that and we think in terms of, Well, engagement around here is that we've agreed to get married, but nothing has really happened outside of that. Yet betrothal in Scripture was a legally binding entity. That is, if they were betrothed, in in essence, the marriage license was already signed. It's already done. And the only way to get out of a betrothal was to walk through some sort of almost divorce proceeding in this way. So this was not just, hey, we're planning on getting married. No, it was actually set in stone. They were going to get married. So when this angel brings the news that Mary is going to be with child, this would have been a a tense subject culturally and relationally. Now, the angel appears to Joseph later on in a, in, in a dream and communicates with him what's going on here. But on the, at the front side, Joseph had purposed to actually divorce her quietly because they were going, all right, clearly that you have not been faithful, which is the logical response of any person who's put in this situation. And yet, right at the beginning of this, right after... This angel has communicated with Mary. Her response in verse 38, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Reveals a faith in her, which we're going to talk about next week. 
that should be contagious to those of us who say, I desire to serve the Lord, come what may. Come what may. There's another factor at play here in this narrative. Mary, being a virgin, obviously adds to the dynamic of challenge in sharing what the Lord is doing. This is super important from a theological perspective. And many people don't recognize why the virgin birth is so important. And yet God's purposes in this are really valuable. You see, Paul highlights in Corinthians that sin entered the world through who? Through Adam. You see, most people don't recognize, if we go back in time to the book of Genesis... That the command not to eat of the tree was given to Adam before Eve was even present in the narrative. You see, Adam was given the responsibility clear back in scripture to make sure that God's way was followed. And he knew there would be consequences if not. And yet Adam didn't follow through in his responsibility. Even though Eve ate of the tree first Nothing changed until Adam did. And Paul identifies later that this Jesus Christ who came is a new type of Adam. That just as the first one brought death to mankind, so Christ brings life. You see, if Jesus had been born of an earthly father, he would have inherited earthly sin. And yet, because... Because Mary being an earthly mother and Jesus having the spirit as his father, it brings a significance over to the purity of who Christ was, who, though he was tempted in every way, was without sin. The third dynamic at play here is that Mary is chosen by God. Why is Mary chosen by God in this way? Why is, why is it that the Lord comes to her? We don't have an answer for that. Outside of this was God's purpose. It, God purposed to use Mary for this exact reason. What is that? That's grace. Some of you sit here and you can reflect on your life and you can see where the Lord has put you in situations That you didn't expect. Maybe the Lord has used you in ways that you didn't expect. Maybe he's given you a front seat to see the transformation in someone's life and you didn't expect that. That is God's visible grace to you and me. He doesn't have to give us a front seat to those things. He doesn't have to do any of this. He's God. He's the creator of the universe. And yet... He has gone as far as to give us his son. To give us Christ. So that we can have life. And Ephesians 2 acknowledges that that is by grace through faith. It's not of works. It's not anything we can earn. None of the people in this narrative earned the right to be used by God. There is great hope in that because... What that means is God will purpose to use anyone for his glory. 
It doesn't matter what the background has been. It doesn't matter in the scope of how your life in the past has looked. Uh, God can and will give you opportunities to be used by him for his purposes. Because he's gracious. God's giving us as human beings a front row seat to his sovereign work shows his grace. God's use of everyday people to bring about extraordinary purposes shows his grace. God's fulfilling his redemptive purposes exactly as he planned despite our sinfulness shows God's grace. Ultimately, in these narratives, God's purpose is in it all. In verse 16, it says that John would be used to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. In verse 17, that he would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Jesus, the Son of God, sent to earth to bring salvation to all who would believe. Jesus, who modeled what it looks like to walk in obedience to God's commands. None of this was a surprise to God as much as it was a surprise to the people God used. No matter how surprised you may be when God chooses to use you, no matter how shocked you may be that there's still an offer of forgiveness in Christ, regardless of what we have done. We need to approach this Christmas season with an understanding of God's grace. That God's grace would be what motivates us into a celebration of His birth. That God's grace would be what propels us forward to live a life in reflection of the very grace that's been shown to us through Jesus. So, I'll ask you, where is your Christmas spirit rooted this season? And how does God's grace fit into that? Here are just a handful, as we prepare to finish up today, a handful of practical ways that we can embrace a grace-filled Christmas spirit. Number one, allow our recognition of God's grace to pour over into other people. When we step back and realize that I am saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that should be the number one motivator for us to serve other people. Just as God in Christ has done for me, so I will do to others. Not so that I'm going to get something out of it. Not to, to make them feel good. Not it, the only motivation being, I, I, I recognize what God in Christ has done for me. That's my motivation. When I consider the Christmas scene, the first place it should take me as a follower of Jesus is to what Christ actually brought, which was salvation through grace, God's grace. Secondly, 
How do I embrace a grace-filled Christmas spirit? If I'm consumed by worry or fear, remember that God's purposes were to give us a living hope through Christ. We talked about that in 1 Peter. Been born again to a living hope. And whether it is decades of brokenness, yearning for something that the Lord has not yet answered, He's still faithful. Or it is anticipation of what is to come, only to have your plans completely thrown off. He's still faithful. And at the end of the day, my worry and fear accomplishes nothing for the Lord. It accomplishes nothing. If anything, it actually puts a wall between the blessings of God's grace and where I stand today. Because if all I can see is that obstacle, then I'm, I'm failing to see the mountain mover. <laughs> Third, how can I embrace a grace-filled Christmas spirit? Be generous out of a motivation modeled by God Himself in sending His Son here for us. Gifts seem to be a big part of the Christmas season. And we could probably sit and debate whether that's good or bad in our Western culture. But I can say that the heart behind generosity, biblically, is meant to be motivated by God's gift to us. But generosity is not just meant to be something that happens once a year. It's meant to be a part of who we are. That we are the most generous people of all because we have been given the most generous gift of all. Life in Christ. And lastly, practical ways that we can embrace a grace-filled Christmas spirit. Celebrate God's continued work in and through His people. When you see God use someone, speak that out. Encourage them. When someone shares a testimony of God's faithfulness with you, celebrate with them. When we recognize God using the whole for His purposes... It makes it no longer about us and makes us about him. So as we stop and we reflect on what we commonly refer to as the Christmas story, my prayer for us this season is that we would rejoice at the recognition of God's sovereign, unconditional grace that has been given to us most visibly through Jesus, but then has been fleshed out in so many other ways. The fact that you and I have breath in our lungs today is an aspect of God's merciful grace. The fact that we are provided for across this country in the way that we are is an aspect of God's merciful grace because we sure don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And everything, anything, anything that happens that is not just punishment for where we have wronged the holiness of God is an example of God's merciful grace to you and I. 
So this Christmas season, let's be a people that are filled with a grace motivated by God's example for us in Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And they're going to close us with a song, Who Am I? And it really just poses this question of, uh, who am I that God would use me at all? And I can imagine Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph reflecting on a similar sentiment as they considered God's choosing to use them in such a way for his purposes. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Father, I praise you that you're a God of grace, that you're a God of justice. And even as we pause and we celebrate the coming of Christ in the form of a baby. Humble. A model of what obedience to your word looks like. Lord, we confess that it's a lot easier for us to become distracted by the busyness of this time. It's a lot easier for us to shift our focus away from you. So change our perspective, Lord. Help us to walk and live in light of the grace that's been shown to us in Jesus. Lord, that we would be motivated in our worship, a life of worship, because we see there is salvation in no one else. We trust you with this, Lord. Use it to convict us and bring us to a place of living these things out in Jesus.